Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of A Few Goodmen, where we review the movies of John Goodman. This week, we're going for a big one. We're going for Barton Fink, one of oh, John yeah. Goodman's better performances, and I think evidence that the Oscars are rigged against him. Uh, oh. What do you think, Dana? Oh, so not only... Yes, 100%. This is actually... Um, like... When I think of my favorite John Goodman performances, I think of Barton Fink and I think of 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, those are my two favorite of his dramatic performances. Like those they're not are two his, of his best. They're not his funnest roles, but oh, this his character in Barton Fink is so dynamic and so it has it has so many different things uh, that I love about other John Goodman roles all wrapped up in this really no, interesting character. That's exactly it. Because like John, Good, like we all know John Goodman's the best. Like I love his dramatic roles. I love it when he plays the bad guy, when he does the heel, but his best roles are the roles where he gets to be friendly. John Goodman, friendly. John Goodman is the best John Goodman. And you get both in this character. And it's so interesting because he is, Oh geez, Barton. I'm just a big friendly guy. And is also like a sociopathic serial killer. Oh yeah. Like his very first scene when he knocks on the door, um, and then you see him change he, he, how he switches from being angry to like, oh, you know, I'm re- I'm real sorry. Like, oh, it. I'm real sorry about that. That's uh, oh, that, about your drink. Yeah. That that first scene is the you you you're right in. You're right in. So, um, Barton Fink. It's from like the first that first half of um, Coen Brothers movies. Um, it's, it's their second. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh no! Wait, I think it's their third or fourth. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, this is after uh, Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona was their second. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I this might have been their first movie with John um, Turturro. You know, um, what I think it, who also is amazing in this movie. Phenomenal. Like, I think it's. I think it's so interesting, like, he claims to be, like, one of the common men, and then he shows no interest, and he's really good at, like, showing how little interest he has in people in this movie. Yeah, so this movie is about um, this Broadway screen, this Broadway playwright who gets a contract in Hollywood to write movies, and there's this brilliant scene, it's the very first... um, it's the very first John Goodman scene and he and Barton Fink, who is the main character um, played by John Turturro is talking about how he writes for the common people and how like everybody's got a story and we just got to listen to it. But John Goodman keeps on saying like, Oh, I've like, I got stories for you. And he just keeps on like interrupting him and not actually listening to what this, this man has to say. Um, and, oh, it's, yeah, this is one of those kind of movies that, like, hey, if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen this movie, like, go watch it before listening to the rest of this podcast. Now, um, I think, because, now I think, 
Oh, sorry. Because this is one of those kind of movies that if you go in blind, like at the first time you watch it, it is such a memorable experience, the whole thing. Because you never see any of it coming. You don't know what to expect at any point during this movie. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I think uh, Pat Oswalt, I think, said something really interesting about Coen Brothers movies and that they just show you things. They never tell you how to feel about them. They just show you things that are happening. Oh, yeah. And also this movie, this movie has another one of the elements that I really love about like a Coen Brothers movie where it's just like there's like a plethora of really interesting characters and then like one or two characters who basically brings you through all these different little worlds and these different little glimpses like yes. this movie it has a has a 1992 uh, or 93 or whatever whatever they filmed it um john mahoney uh who's almost unrecognizable if you only know him from fraser I, I, th- I think he's really funny in this movie. Like, he's a drunk novelist, and I love, like, that whole conversation between him and Barton, where Barton's going off about, like, writing comes from deep pain, and you can't make great art without true suffering. And then John uh, John Mahoney, John Mone, I don't know how to pronounce that dude's name. Uh, Fraser's dad just goes like, you know... I just like making stuff up. Yeah, and he's got this like southern act. He's like a southern gentleman. Um, yeah, the real the real man is British. I've re- very rarely seen or heard him with his actual accent. Um, I think he's like I think he actually like I mean he's dead now, but like I think he actually got picked up an American accent because he came over when he was young enough. Mm-hmm. Like that's what happened to my dad. My dad came over here when he was like eight. And he only ever still has his Scottish accent when he's talking to other Scottish people. Mm. But like when you Google so, his name, one of the first p- things that like autocompletes is British accent. So I'm, I'm assuming there must be something out there with him. doing. Or a- like people are like, I need to hear him doing his British accent. Like there's a scene in Frasier where he's making fun of the British maid. Where <laughs> I think he's like doing his original voice and actually the same thing happened in in the show house yeah uh Hugh Laurie very famously did an American accent and was really good at it and there's one scene where he has to like like he's calling all these different doctors and he's calling all around the world and he started like and he calls one person at like three in the morning and like he realizes it's three in the morning, so he has to pretend he's British to like make it look like oh sorry, chap, I forgot what time it is over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, um just a brief Hugh Laurie tangent. Um he plays a British person on an episode of Friends, um, which I still think is a hilarious thing. I certainly agree with your friend Thebes. <laughs> and yes, you were most certainly on a break. Yeah, Hugh Laurie was funny, hilarious in that show. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Rachel is sitting next to him on a plane on the way to London. Um, and he's just like, like, he's the first person in the whole series to be like, you're awful people. <laughs> like, you're just the worst. And it's like, I think it's... I. I don't think it's the series finale, but I think it's like either the first part of the series, like it, or no, 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 no. 
it's like what it was during a season finale when Ross was going to marry that British girl and she was flying over to break up the wedding. And then she was, he was like, well, you're a fucking awful person then. Why are you doing this? <laughs> oh my God. This was, they were awful people in that show. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like at least in like a show, like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. They never hide that they're awful in friends. They made them, they made you think that they were good people. And then they were sucked. Also, weird thing about friends is they're all awful people, but they have like very specific awful person archetypes that is almost one for one with the show How I Met Your Mother. Oh, really? Yeah, well, just think about it. Like, just the I'm gonna just I'm just gonna mention two, which are the really obvious ones. Like Ross, Ross and Ted are basically the same character. Yeah, they're just like kind of bland every man. They're like, ooh, they're kind of nerdy about a thing. In fact, yeah, one's an architecture nerd and the other's like an architect and the other's a paleontologist. And also uh, where I definitely also see the the parallels between Barney and Joey because yeah. they're the ladies men. They have sex with lots of women. Unconsensually. Are they smart? Not really, but they're successful somehow. Yeah, and none of the sex is consensual. Um in both of them. Uh, <laughs> except for the times where they have sex with other main characters. Um, yeah. Also, whenever Ted or um, Ross say anything legitimately interesting, all the other characters make fun of them. But yeah. I mean, this isn't, Ross was a douche, though. This isn't about those two increasingly irrelevant TV shows. This is about a... 19 year old masterpiece um people ooh, don't talk much about not 19 anymore. years old 29 year old masterpiece um that is oh my god we're all gonna die one day <laughs> that is very yeah that's the thing like there's this is kind of like um uh miller's crossing in the fact that like people just don't people i don't feel like people talk about it anymore they must have at one point um because it did get Academy Award nominations. See, here's the thing: is that it got one acting Academy Award nomination, and it went to Michael Lerner. Now, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, I like Michael Lerner was good in this movie. In fact, this is probably Michael Lerner's best performance. Uh, so, like, I'm not that mad about him getting the nod for it over John Goodman because, really. Holy shit, is this guy good in this movie? He's like intimidating and funny and scary oh, at the same the, time. The kissing of the shoes, scene? Best work. <laughs> dude. <laughs> right? This man is an artist. <laughs> but the thing is, is that like he's such a great character, but he is he's a great character in a movie of great characters. Like I don't get what stood him out above and beyond everybody else. Like, I think it was like, honestly, like in the grand scheme of it is I think if Michael Lerner was going to get nominated for a movie, it was going to be this one. So he got his nomination. Like his his assistant played by um, John Polito is also hilarious in this movie. Um, There's like the two cops who come in are at, at one point, the two detectives. They're both so good. Like. <laughs> they're both very like old film noir detectives see yeah <laughs> um yeah just there's just so many good people in this movie as we already mentioned um john mahoney 
and then also his um, secretary slash, you know. Now, that brings me to kind of a point I do have. A negative about this movie is that there are no women in this movie except for Judy Davis, who plays the wife of the drunk novelist. And as much as I love this movie, I'm not huge on the fact that, okay, women have zero agency in this movie. Her character seems strong, but she's still getting abused, and then they murder her. Like, her point in the story is to get murdered. Yeah, and the other female character is somebody who... It, it really confuses people because like Barton Fink's character keeps on looking at this one painting um, or picture of this one lady at the beach. And then he m- sees that exact situation happen in real life. Um, and then the movie's over. Yeah. This is not like a great um, example of like a, the Bechtel test. <laughs> no, because at no point, I think there are two women in this movie and they're never in the same scene. And I don't know. I don't even think that other one has a name. Oh, there's more than two women, but like there's only one female character because like I mean there's there's that one woman that yeah. Barton Fink was dancing with before um all these like <laughs> like navy, you know. Oh yeah, he's like this is how I help my and never like the navy guys, you know what? I'd have punched him too. What a dick. Yeah, he, well, like imagine saying that to a military person, like I help by with my brain, and you're like, no, that's no, fucking he points, great. He points I... to his head at one point and says, "This is my uniform," <laughs> and it's like you deserve every ass kicking you're gonna get for the rest of your life, you piece see, of shit. See, here's the thing: like I, I love the Coen Brothers, like I love the Coen Brothers, but you have to address the elephant in the room when it comes to a Coen brothers movie is that they are awful when it comes to representation and diversity. Like, yes, awful. Yes, absolutely. Like some of the worst they are. They are some of the best filmmakers of the, of the 20th and 21st century, but some of the worst when it comes to representation, I'd say say they're probably, I'd say that they're the best film because I mean, like here, but absolutely, Here's a movie. Yeah, very bad. With, with Think about a movie that we already talked about, um, Inside Lewin Davis. A movie that is set in the 60s in Greenwich Village without a single black character. You know what? That's a good point. <laughs> like, that, that's, a really that good is, point. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> like, the thing that they do represent is their own lived experience. And that's two, you know, middle-class Jewish brothers. Like, yeah. Like, so, you know, I have to address the fact that like, you know, but interesting enough, did you know, like, I'm not saying that none of that is true, but weirdly enough, you know what the next movie they're making is. And actually it's only Joel Cohen. Ethan is a set and setting the next one out, I guess. But the next one they're doing is they're doing Macbeth. And Denzel Washington is playing Macbeth, which I think now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably the first time a black person has starred in a Coen Brothers yes, movie. Yes, 100%. Um, definitely. Uh, and that's actually really interesting because I, I I like Denzel. Um, yeah. You know what, like, he's not as, like, they're not as bad as, like, Tim Curry, who just flat out said at one point that um, people of color don't match his aesthetic. Um, they've just, you know, it's just been a blind spot in their, 
in their casting. And, you know, there's no, we, there's no such thing, <laughs> it seems, as like a, a perfect artist. Um, no, obviously not. Like, there will be things to nitpick about absolutely anybody you like. So, yeah, I still love them. But like, we gotta acknowledge least, it. At least the thing we like about at least the thing we don't like about the Cohen brothers movies is like, oh, you know, not enough like diversity and not like, oh, you know, they do awful, terrible things off uh, when they're not making movies. Yeah, yeah, at least that we know about. Um <laughs> I don't jinx it. <laughs> But yeah, this this movie, this is also, I feel like there's a very particular genre of movies, which is movies about making movies. And this is kind of an interesting one because it kind of flirts with that genre. Um, yeah, you feel like it felt very inspired by Sunset Boulevard. But at the same time, it's not, like, I feel like the themes of this movie um, just happen to be set in Hollywood. But, like, it could have been... You could have done something else. It could have been, I don't know. It like, it's, it's this. Like, I I just watched. Like, I I just before recording this, I just watched it again, and it's the first time I've watched this movie in in a while. So I, I'm still ruminating on on the ending, which is <laughs> very strange. Um, I mean, it's a cone like. Every, pretty much every Coen Brothers movie, the credits will roll and you'll be like, that's a weird place to end. Like, in fact, I watched A Serious Man with my roommate a few nights ago, and it ends like right as the like a hurricane is about to hit the town. And like you found out that like this main character has some ominous news from the doctor. And then it's like credits and you're like, what? That's a weird place to or even like No Country for Old Men. Great movie. But then the movie ends, like, not with, like, it ends with, like, Tommy Lee Jones in his kitchen being, like, I dreamt about my dad last night. You know, I'm uh, 20 years older than he ever was. And then I woke up. Credits. And it's like, what the <laughs> fuck? That's, I mean, okay, if you're going to end it there. That's, like the, like, I enjoyed the ride the movie took me on. But, like, that was a weird way to, like, dismount. Yeah, also, that movie just ends really strange. Because, like, the bad guy um, gets away. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, <laughs> there's no even, like, hint that he saw any sort of retribution for what he did. Oh, for all Antoine Chouguer is one of my favorite... Um, cinematic villains ever i want you to flip a coin and or i want you to call it i cannot call it for you that wouldn't be fair but yeah um i'm just looking because i was like man um john polito almost everything i've ever seen him in is a coen brothers movie um like he was in miller's crossing and of course barton fink and the big lebowski and the man who wasn't there <laughs> You know what? I never saw the man who it's was good. there. Um, it's an, it's it's one of the least talked about Coen Brothers movies I have ever seen. You know what? The probably the least talked about one is is probably Intolerable Cruelty because that's not a very. Oh, good I thought you were going to say Paris, Texas. Um, I've never heard of that <laughs> one. Either. Yeah, it's I I think it's like a multi-director film that the um, Coens were involved with. Oh, okay. 
Uh, you know, one of the ones that's least talked about because people don't know it's a Coen Brothers movie is Bridge of Spies. Oh, yeah, because, well, I mean, here, here's the thing. Here, How do we define what a Coen Brothers film is? I would say, okay, like, it. I think Spielberg ended up directing Yeah, exactly, that one, because are we calling Bad it. Santa a Coen Brothers movie? Yeah, you know, I don't think they wrote that. I think they came up with like the idea. Oh yeah, but they're for still. They're, I mean, that's the thing is like they're still attached to it. Do you know what? I watched Bad Santa for the first time this Christmas. Like my girl, it's one of my girlfriend's favorites, and she's like, "I got to show you this movie," and I loved it. And then when I saw that the Coen Brothers were like attached to this, I'm like, "This explains everything." About I remember this movie. so little about that film. I remember there being like a gratuitous sex scene in a hot tub. Um. Yeah, dude, there's so many gratuitous I, sex scenes. And, like, the movie, like, you never know, like, and that's the thing. You know, I would say Bad Santa in that case, yeah, it is a Coen Brothers movie because it feels like a Coen Brothers movie. Like, it shows you things and it never tells you how to feel I also, also, one of the few things I remember about that movie is, like, there's that kid who is got, I don't know, he's, like, I don't know if they ever flat out say he's, like, mentally disabled or anything like that, but... He's not bright. And at one point, he's wearing a shirt that just says, shit happens when you party naked. <laughs> yeah, that kid was fucking and that's hilarious. One of the, no, but like, that, that t-shirt, like, I watched that movie a long time ago, but that t-shirt is one of the only things I remember about the film. <laughs> Dude, I don't know what, like, I still don't know what to make about that movie. Like, it's the darkest funny movie or the funniest dark movie I've ever seen. Because, like, okay, there's a part where, uh, okay, Billy Bob Thornton is in a car in the garage and he's got the engine going and he's just, like, starting to pass out. And, like, the little boy comes in. And, like, it's the darkest moment in the movie. Like, you're like, holy shit, this is fun. Because you feel how much this character hates himself. And then this little boy comes in and he's just like, uh, hey, can you take me to the mall or something? And he's just like, and Billy Bob Thornton notices that this kid has a black eye. And he's like, why do you have a black eye? And it's just a smash cut of Billy Bob Thornton beating the shit out of these this kid's bullies. <laughs> And it's so funny, like just such a drastic shift in tone. And it works so well as a joke. And then it works even better when you realize the punchline is this man hates himself so much that he beat up a bunch of kids and he felt better <laughs> about himself. Like, it's just this one amazing, dark, twisted joke at the core of this movie. Um, Billy Bob Thornton was the star of The Man Who Wasn't There, by the way. Yeah. Okay. He was. He also appeared in Love Actually as the president of the yeah, United that... States. And in that movie, he didn't give quite as good of a performance. <laughs> oh man, I wonder how many years it will take before people stop um, romanticizing uh, that movie. Love Actually. Uh, I I had to skip it this year. Just because I remember, like, I've loved that movie forever. And then last year, I started to notice the cracks. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I will. So if I ever watch that movie again, it will be ruined for me. So I have, I can't watch it. It has to, like, I have to keep it 
good See, for in me, my memory. Um, Love Actually is an awful movie with some amazing scenes. I think that's a. Fa- I think that's because fair. there. Because the thing is, is that movie so like just a jumble of stories that like I think it. And actually, one of, there's an editing error that I don't know if, if anyone who's a fan of Love Actually, you can back me up on this. There's a big major editing error in Love Actually. And there's a scene where, like, it says it's Christmas Eve. And there's a couple, and it's uh, Martin Freeman and uh, that other woman. And he, she goes, all I want for Christmas is you, and gives him a kiss. And then that's the end of the date. But then later on in that same night, we see them at the beginning of their date, and it's very clearly an error anyway. I'm being a fucking nerd about it. But it's annoying me because every ever since I've noticed it, every year I notice it, and I'm like, mm, that's out of order, and it doesn't work. Yeah, um, you... Because what she says is a callback to a thing that you hear much later in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, um, you were the one who showed me that movie back when we lived at a mini golf course. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? I don't re- like. I still like that movie for like the things that it does well. Like, I love. Uh, I obviously love Alan Rickman in that movie. Uh, I think uh, Rowan Atkinson's scene is fucking amazing. Emma Thompson is my favorite in that film, personally. Emma Thompson is a goddamn treasure. Like in that, that movie. her that scene that where she has where she has to like go into the other room to pull herself together. That's like that's oh, it's class. Amazing, it's pure class. Oh, I don't know. Has Emma Thompson ever been in a Coen Brothers movie? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. But she should be. Let's actually has Emma Thompson ever been in a movie with John Goodman. That's Ooh, that's, that's a, a more question. relevant question. Um, you know what? Let's do. Yeah, it. that's what I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm doing it one-handed because I'm also holding a microphone. Sounds like a euphemism. This is a okay. It does sound like a euphemism. No, I'm not. Good morning. Yeah. Um. Good. Morning. Yeah, she she's a two-time Academy Award winner. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think she did a Pride and Prejudice adaptation that won or her a bunch Sense of awards. Sense and Sensibility, but yeah. Sense and Sensibility. I knew it was a um, Jane Austen. Okay, so <laughs> on Amazon, you can buy um, for twenty one ninety nine um, a John Travolta, John Goodman, Emma Thompson TV press photo. But what is what is this uh, for? I don't understand. Why are they all, all on the why are these three people all on the same piece of paper? Yeah, like they need to give us more information as to why that is, because those are not people that I picture hanging out. Like were they in a movie to, were were all three of them in a movie together? Uh let's see. Oh, all the all the things I'm finding are uh, are for this picture. All right, so it was John Goodman. Yeah, John Goodman, John Travolta, and Emma Thompson. 
But it's not all they're, they're not all that pictured together. It's just three it's three headshots on one piece of paper that you can buy from Amazon or eBay for $21. Okay, yeah. I'm looking at the picture too and that's certainly what it is. It's just three pictures of three famous actors that you could buy and like I think that they just threw three random people together. For like because they've never been in it like these three have never been in a movie together i don't even need to google it i guarantee these three have not appeared in a movie together that's too fucking weird of just three random people on a piece of paper we should buy this piece of paper and <laughs> review it on an episode Mark. of this podcast we could review okay what was the john travolta john goodman emma thompson headshot photo like and it's like well it was glossy and like it didn't come with a frame but it gave you like the size for a frame Mark, like good talk, the shipping good talk. costs twelve dollars dude like, why the fuck is this a thing they're not autographed or anything you can just buy a picture of john travolta john goodman and Emma thompson together like not together, just three separate photographs. Also, you could just, Why? You could just Who print off this okay. one. Are there? Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing special about the picture you're gonna send. Okay, are there reviews of this? No, because nobody's bought this. Guaranteed, nobody's bought. Okay, I'm on eBay this. right now. I'm I'm looking for reviews. Um, are you on the Amazon one? I'm on the Amazon one, and there's no yeah, reviews. I'm... Nobody's bought this thing that has I'm not anything finding to any say either. Because <laughs> anybody who bought this is not going to be the person that's like, you got, okay, this picture was like really fucking quality. Anyone who bought this, the second after they buy it, they're like, also, why Also, like, I this person that? just sells pictures. Like, some of their other items are a picture of Sinbad from working TV title press photo. <laughs> <laughs> oh that makes perfect sense uh, of a pianist named vladimir horowitz um from 1960 dude could you imagine you somebody comes over to your house and you point out that framed on the wall and you're like check out that it's a picture of a guy playing piano and it'd be like who it was like i don't i can't say his name also it's like these are all press all like press pictures like like the thing that would be in like a press release from like the 80s. <laughs> yeah, so like like what is this? Who is this for? Are you like okay, this is I anybody listening, you really just have to google John John Goodman Emma Thompson and this is no, the first no, thing that comes not up. Is it, it's not the first this thing that comes up. It's the first four things that come up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like, there's not like all of the image searches. There's an image. Oh, there's an image for something called the new review. Oh, is this? Oh, maybe this is. A oh yeah, somebody's selling a news. Know. I found okay. this one. It's somebody selling a newspaper um, that John Goodman's on the cover of from 2015. Uh, for uh, eight because pounds. why not? Why? Down. So, someone's like i can't be bothered to take the garbage out to the also because it's a picture 
it's a picture of it's, it's a picture it's not like a scanned of the newspaper it's a picture of the newspaper and the, and the newspaper is a little wrinkly but also who's like i really need that from that 2015 also newspaper. it's only six years ago i mean i'm sure that the new review which is a not even a newspaper it is a section of a newspaper of the observer to be exact has an online um component where we're, we've gotten to a weird subsection of this uh, podcast where instead of reviewing the movie that we should be talking about because it's a masterpiece we're now reviewing just <laughs> pictures of john goodman that you can buy oh, online i found something more relevant you can buy a dvd combo of the borrowers and nanny mcphee <laughs> so there you go they are in a movie together just as long as you forget yeah they're, they're both in one movies. dvd case <laughs> You know what? That counts. We now get to review Nanny <laughs> McPhee. Oh. <laughs> because it was in a have DVD box Nanny set. McPhee? I have not. Uh, no. Apparently, of that's not. one of the things that she gets recognized for. Um, <laughs> you know, Emma Thompson. I think, wasn't she also in one of the Harry uh, Potter movies? Uh, yeah, she was like the. Uh, she was uh, Professor Trelawney. She yeah, was because like everyone but like teacher. Ian McKellen. And um, Patrick Stewart were in those movies. Because Ian McKellen was in Lord of the Rings. You couldn't have him. Uh, when I saw Ian McKellen, um, he talked about it, though. Um, I got to see him do his one-person show uh, last year. It was very good. Oh, he got to... Like, he talked about being the only person not Basically. <laughs> but he got to do Lord of the Rings. None of them got to do Lord... Do you think... Look, and I'm sorry, the Lord of the oh, Rings. Oh yeah, no, but his whole thing was like, I, come on, I, you know, like basically, you know, to word it in a way worse way than the elegantly wonderful Ian McKellen. But he's been acting for seventy years. He's capable of playing more than one wizard. Ooh, that's okay. That's clever. I like that. <laughs> yeah, he has been. Oh, like he's. He's been literally acting for over 70 years. Um, or almost, yeah. That's it's... crazy. My favorite performance of his, though, has to be that episode <laughs> of Extras that he was in. How do I act so well? Where he's playing himself and, like, is this over-the-top version so, of himself. Where he's like, when I, I saw him in his, When I saw him do his, like, one-man one show... The first half, he is just telling the story of his theatrical life from the very first play he ever saw 75 years ago um, all the way up until like now. Uh, and he tells stories about working with Laurence Olivier and all these just phenomenal stuff. And then there's the interval. And then the second half, he brings on stage every single work of Shakespeare and he gets the audience to yell out one by one, every single piece of uh, every single one of Shakespeare's plays. And then he either has a story or a memorized like monologue 
from every single one. And it was fascinating. It, Jesus like Christ. He, like, he has been a Shakespeare... He's been an actor in so much of Shakespeare's stuff. He was actually the last person to ever debut a new Shakespeare play. Um, yeah, because there was one Shakespeare really? play that wasn't allowed to be performed while he was alive. And it got its first performance in the 60s. And he was in the first performance of that play. Like, I can't think of it what, off the top of my called? head. But he was one of the last people to, like, actually debut a character with no... No prior actor had played that character before. That's interesting. Yeah, that's like, cool. And, I like that. Oh, and I got to shake his hand. He is very he looks way older in like when you're standing that close to him than <laughs> Well, like, most yeah, people he do, looks, I think. definitely looks like a wizard though. Um <laughs> and his hands are huge, by the way. You realize um, You realize not a wizard. What? <laughs> okay. No, I was thinking that you had more. I was thinking that your the quote continued. I I don't know. Um, no, no. I just I just quoted the thing and then I paused and then there was an awkward pause. And because also because down. I have not seen the um, Lord of the Rings movies since they came out. Oh, I was oh, quoting yeah. his scene from Extra. I also haven't explaining. I also that, only like, watched that, really... that scene once with you and my ex-wife of all people um, in a hotel room over a decade ago. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, because yeah, life is a good weird times. place. Anyway, Barton Fink is so good. Um, I just fear, I just fear that talking about it too much. I don't know because it's. It's one of those movies that um, you got to really experience it. It's hard to it's hard to describe. But one thing I did kind of tease in the last episode is there's this brilliant scene. What oh, when um, the the cops have come, they've they've figured out like so. John Goodman's character is a serial killer who cuts off people's heads. That's one of the things you learn about him. He's not the old, happy-go-lucky guy you think he was at the beginning of the movie. Uh, and the cops are narrowing down because um, John Totoro's character ha has sex with the lover of this writer. And then he wakes up and she's dead beside him. But then her body's found headless because he left it with the serial killer he didn't know was a serial killer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he's handcuffed to this bed at one point. And the hotel that they're all living in is on fire. And these two cops have just been murdered. And then John Goodman walks back into the hotel room holding this shotgun. And it's just that scene, that scene that follows. Oh, it's oh, so good. It's, it's just, just me, me and Charlie. And at one point he's like, Why me? And then then the angry then the angry part comes back out and he's like, Because you never listen. And it's just And it's like, yes, that's what we've been oh, noticing the whole so movie. Good. And then he bends these iron bars in order to to free him from his handcuffs. 
And he's like, if you need anything, I'll be next door. And it's, they're in a burning down hotel room at this point. And he just walks. There's oh. something. Yeah, Mark. There's something really interesting about the way that, like, this guy can't come up with an original idea for shit. Like, it's um, it's astounding how bad of a writer yeah. this dude is. Because, like, they're like, okay, we'll give you something easy. Just write us, like, very formulaic wrestling movie. And even, like, even when uh, uh, Charlie came over and he was like, I'll tell you all about wrestling. I'll teach you about wrestling. And he was like, no, I'm not really interested. It's <laughs> like, you've been hired to write a movie about wrestling. And here's a guy who's like, I used to wrestle. I'll tell you all about wrestling. Also, and at the like, very beginning yeah. of the movie, you see he's at, the, um, he's at a play that it just you so you see a little bit of a snippet of the play he had just written um and it is and he basically reuses it exactly in the little bits of pieces of the movie that you see that he wrote um including the exact that so we'll be hearing from that wrestler and i'm not talking <laughs> about the postcard and he also has like the fish uh, the fishmongers <laughs> oh yeah, he is yeah. he's not a good writer. That's the problem. <laughs> and it's weird that this dude can't think of a single original idea when all of this crazy yeah, shit is. Yeah, also like it's one of those situations. there's so many um so I I'm going to oh, I don't I don't want to get into it because we've gotten into this exact subject before inadvertently. But um J.J. Abrams has this whole idea of a mystery box. Like, he... he It was one of those, like, things that you can buy for, like, $10, and you don't know what's in it, right? It, it could be anything. Um, and he fell in love with this idea, and that he tries to include them in all of his movies. Like, you know, like, this things that, like, ooh, this mystery that you can find out about later. And he does a real mediocre job at it, if you ask me. But if you want a perfect example of that, it's the box that they never open in this movie. That you know, like you think prob- there's yeah. You also never find there. out if um, if old Madman um, killed his killed um, Barton Fink's parents, like because we... yeah, it's suggested. And you never like, and then you you see him on the phone. Yeah, but it's also the forties. Through, it's true. I for me, it's heavily implied also, that he kills. His speaking parents of which, there. there's like one line that like is really easy to forget, but it also was like really memorable for me. Right before John Goodman shoots one of the cops directly in the face, he says, "Heil Hitler." Yeah, it's weird. Like, at no point does he show, like, that he's a nut. He just goes, like, Heil Hitler, bang. And, like, he just says it just like that. Yeah. Just very like, oh, there's like, so Heil much. There, that's the thing about this movie is that there's so much about the characters we never learn. There's so like, much. To oh, unpack. and also there's Chet. We never even mentioned Chet. The. There's not much to be said about Chet oh, other he's so, than he's played by I, Steve I, Buscemi. I like, I like him. I like Steve Buscemi's little roles that he gets in Coen Brothers movies because they're always just like perfectly Steve Buscemi roles. And 
I do too. I would like to see him take a. I'd also part like to see him survive to the end movie. of a Coen Brothers movie. Always. That's true. He always and the least dies. violent way that he dies is of a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. After, after being but after by a Nihilus. fight where like John Goodman fights <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course, the most gruesome way that he's disposed of, at least, is most famously in Fargo, uh, where you see him getting shoved into a wood yeah. chipper. Um, <laughs> Which another great movie. It's a shame John see, Goodman is not. I in think there that because um, Fargo I is the closest thing to a Coen Brothers. Buscemi starring role we've seen because he is so good in that movie. Um, also, yeah. also the oh, shoot, what's the name of the other guy um, who I think is one of the nihilists in uh, The Big Lebowski? Oh, the I guy think who just right, like flat out shoots a cop right name. in the face, <laughs> which is a thing in Coen Brothers movies, by yeah. the way. If you if you've not watched a lot of Coen Brothers movies, someone getting shot in the face is going to happen at some point. <laughs> Yeah. Cops are going to get yeah. killed. Yeah. Anything else we have oh. to say about uh, watch Martin it. Fink? And what? Yeah. And watch Hail Caesar, watch another it. movie about making movies. I'm going to mention it whenever I can. Um, but yeah, also watch Miller's Crossing, okay. another amazing movie that's got Steve Buscemi in it um, and is one of my favorite crime films. Just it's so it's so good. That's a pretty solid movie. Uh, next week, we are going to be covering Blues Brothers 2000. No. And Dana has not seen the original, <laughs> so his introduction to the series is going to be... Okay, we all know the original Blues Brothers extremely well. Like, every, like everyone loves that movie. It's like one of those all-time great movies. I have never heard a single thing about the sequel, so but, I have no idea what I, to expect. But I think that, but if I haven't heard anything about it, there's no but way it's like good. The thing is, it's got John Goodman singing. Yeah, which yeah. Oh we man, could you know what? I got to admit, um, since last week, I have had people like us stuck in my head numerous times from last week's movie. That's a good song. But a, here's a little a bit really of a here's song. a little bit of a uh, uh, of a sneak taste for next week because I'm I just looked up the Rotten Tomato score of Blue Brothers 2000. Okay, Ooh, let you were really I'm close. Say 42. Actually, forty six. Forty one. Oh wow! Okay, it's far so from the lowest film right. we've it'll watched on this podcast. It's higher by 46% yeah. than the lowest one we've watched. <laughs> Cronk's new groove. percent Oh my god, I still can't believe, like... Well, like, I could see how a kid might like that movie. I don't no, know if that deserved zero percent. There are two things that I people sure universally like agree on when it comes to film criticism. <sighs> that nobody likes Kronk's New Groove and everybody likes Paddington 2. Yeah, it, I don't know. I've never seen Paddington 2. It has and at this point, I'm a little Mark. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It, it's also the last one. <laughs> oh, come on. We can't, we can't give that. Weinstein produced so many films. Like, 
It's true. And like I like I'm not gonna stop watching Pulp Fiction, but like there's just something. No, about like if Patton you want to have a problem too, with Pulp like, Fiction, have now. a problem with the fact that like Quentin Tarantino always casts himself as the person who says the N word. <laughs> Point, no, actually. no, like you're not going to get mad point. at the, you know, because the movie was like um, financed by a crooked banker. Like Weinstein's awful garbage human, but like he had, he was involved in way too many things to start like going down that whole thing. That's fair. Anyway, but next yeah, so um, week, fuck Harvey Weinstein and fuck the police. Fuck the police.